everybody. My name is Rachel. For those of you that I have not, what's happening? Um, for those of you that I have not had the privilege of getting to meet, um, I am Rachel Hunga. My husband is Corey. And if you are looking for him today, because I know he's one of the lead pastors here at Third Street, he is home. Our third little one uh, is sick. And so uh, he is, she's a daddy's girl through and through. And so Corey is home with her today. So if you're looking for him, that's where he's at. Um, I have the honor and privilege of bringing the word today. And we're continuing right now in our series called Psalms in the Key of Life. Psalms in the Key of Life. If you haven't been able to join us throughout this series, um, this is a series that was inspired by Stevie Wonder's album, Songs in the Key of Life. Um, if you're not familiar with that album, I promise you that you actually are. You probably just don't realize that some of the great songs that we still sing today come from that album. And what Stevie did on that album was he wrote and told these stories the way that he wanted them told. It was one of his first albums that he got to have full say in everything that went on the record. And he said it, and he told these stories, and they touched people, and we still sing the songs from that album today. And the reason we're doing um, a whole series in our church inspired by that is because that is the book of Psalms. Telling story through song is something that cultures have been doing since the beginning of time. And in the book of Psalms, what we see is a collection of uh, what are actually songs recorded of life for the nation of Israel as it was happening in real time. And so today we're going to dive into uh, Psalm 57. Psalm 57. And actually the way I want to kick off is to start out, I just want to read through the whole psalm, top to bottom. Um, it's not super long, but bear with me here. We're going to read this psalm from top to bottom as we start things off. It says, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings under the danger that passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who, full, who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from the heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug deep a pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. My heart is confident in you, O oh God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O oh lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O oh God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. It's a beautiful psalm. He goes, from, uh, he goes from painting a picture of the way that people are after him. He goes from uh, talking about the attack that he's experiencing to talking about even a little bit of the strategy of their attack, and then he lands in praise. It's a great psalm. But there's a phrase that Corey uses all the time 
when he preaches. He says, beware the dangers of casual reading. Beware the dangers of casual reading. You see, context is everything. Whether you are diving into an album that you really like listening to or you're diving into scripture, contact is everything. Context is everything. What do I mean by that? Is anybody in here an Ed Sheeran fan? Okay, has anybody watched the Disney Plus documentary, the docuseries on Ed Sheeran? Okay, let me tell you about this. I love Ed Sheeran. I have listened to his music since the Plus album. It was his very first one that dropped. I've listened to him all the way through. But Ed is super private about his life. There's really not that much that we know about who he is, about who he's married to. I've just found out he was married when I watched this documentary. Apparently, the man's been married for years. So they're, they're really private. But they did this documentary, and for, for the entire development of his most recent album, it's called Minus. All his albums pretty much have like a mathematical thing, symbol, uh, as the title. And for his most recent one, Minus, he allowed Disney Plus to follow him during the production of this album. And oh my gosh, I loved his music before I watched this docuseries. Now, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's such a wonderful human being. You watch this series and you see how he's writing these songs and everything he struggled with. I actually, it's crazy to me that this was the time in his life when he chose to let people follow him with cameras. Over the course of this series, you see his wife battle cancer. You see his kids be born. By the way, he's got kids. Didn't know that either. You see his best friend die. You see his whole writing process and everything that he takes you through. He takes you back through old songs that he's written and why he wrote them. Turns out his biggest song of all time he wrote after his first date with his wife, the song Perfect. He sent it to her and he's like, that might have been a little intense. I'm glad she still married me. He wrote that song, if you know it, after his first date. Wild. So then he takes you through like all the writing of this album that he just dropped. I had already listened to the album before I watched the docuseries. I watched the series and I, I sat there listening to this new album, Cooking in My Kitchen. And I had tears in my eyes because I'm like, oh my gosh. He wrote that one when Jamal died. That means so much more now, understanding that, oh my gosh, he wrote this one. When he talks about sitting in the waiting room, it, it wasn't his kid being born. He was waiting to find out if his, life, if his wife was going to live because she got cancer. Oh my gosh. Like everything about that album is so much richer having watched that docuseries. His music all the way back to the very beginning means so much more because you see all the work that he put in to even get to that point. It's crazy, it's so good. The same is true in the Psalms. David wrote that Psalm that we just read. And when you look into what David was experiencing, everything that he went through it's crazy that he says those things that he says. And listen, if you want to know, this is a shameless plug, if you want to know how to connect the dots and figure out when what psalms were written and everything like that, that's what we do in these summer studies. We dive into all of that super deep. For Bible 100, man, I got charts, I got graphs, I got all kinds of things for you to overlay this stuff because when you know what's happening in the Bible, it's so much richer. So we're going to figure out why David wrote that psalm today. 
If you have your Bible, turn with me now to 1 Samuel chapter 24. Because David wrote this psalm after a crazy situation with Saul. When we get into this point in scripture, what's happening is that David has been anointed as the king of Israel. But what's crazy about David being anointed as the king of Israel is that it already had one. There was a guy named Saul who was currently the king of Israel at the point in time in which David gets anointed. And Saul really doesn't like David. We're going to get into that a little bit more uh, in a second. But that's what you need to know going into this. So this says, after Saul, who was the current king of Israel, after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines. The Philistines, by the way, that's Goliath and his people. So after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David. It took 3,000 troops for Saul to try and find David. And his, and eh. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all of Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. Let that sink for a minute. Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in the same cave. So Saul went to go pee, and David's in there. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. So Saul's out to kill him, and David feels bad because he nipped the end of his garment. He said to his men, the Lord has forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. And so David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. So this is the background of the start of Psalm 57. When David talks about his enemies being after him, he's talking about Saul and this whole army going after him. And he's remembering the time that he hid in the cave. See, what's super interesting in that first chunk of scripture there is if you remember in Psalm 57, David's talking about, I'm going to wait on the Lord. The Lord is going to protect me. But what are his people saying to him? While he's in the cave, they're saying to him, today the Lord is telling you that he's going to deliver your enemy into your hands. They started what they whispered into David's ear in the back of this cave with, today the Lord is telling you. But then David nips the end of Saul's robe, cuts off a little piece of it, starts to feel bad, and he says back to all his people, he says, the Lord forbid that I should do this. So is the Lord telling him that he should kill Saul, or is the Lord forbidding that he should do this? What an interesting situation that we find ourselves in. In Psalm 57, David says, it is, the, it is God's faithfulness that I'm going to sing praises of. Not my strength, not my army, not that my army was bigger than his army. He says it is the Lord's faithfulness. The first thing I want you to remember today from David's story 
And from this psalm is to trust God more than you trust in people. Trust God more than you trust in people. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not telling you to be a loner on an island. I'm not giving you an excuse to not show up for huddle, to not show up for summer studies, to not show up for church. What I'm not saying is you can do your faith on your own. That's not what I'm saying. Don't put words in my mouth. What I am saying is trusting God more than you trust in people. There's people I'm absolutely going to call for wisdom. I have the utmost respect for my husband. I seek his wisdom on everything. Anything that has to do with the Bible, I run by him. He's so smart. If I got ideas that I want to bounce off of people, there's absolutely people in this community right here that I'm going to call. When KT is preaching or he has something to say, I'm going to listen. When Candace sends out a text and says, hey, pray for this in our community, I'm absolutely listening to them because God has given wisdom to his people. But when you think that God is telling you something, run that by people, run that by your community, run that by the people that you trust, but do not act until you have consulted God through and through. Because the thing is, at this point in time, Saul's been chasing after David for so long. For so long. And so it makes perfect sense that his friends are sitting around him and they're like, hey, surely the Lord has delivered him to you on this day. I absolutely see how they reach that conclusion. No doubt. God had anointed David at this point. Saul's in there. Saul's on his own. It makes perfect sense for them to say, God ordained this moment. And actually, as we keep reading, you're going to find out that God did ordain that moment. But his friends interpreted it wrong. And so we always have to trust God more than people. Take the time friends, to learn how God speaks to you. Because if David didn't have a sensitivity to God's spirit, if David didn't know how God communicated with him, David wouldn't have stopped to keep discerning that moment. But David knew how God spoke to him. How do you find out how God speaks to you? How do you discern that? The spirit will move in the ways that the spirit has always moved. And so as you read in scripture, as you dive deeper into passages that you haven't read a thousand times already, you're going to learn new ways that God moves. You're going to learn ways that God speaks through his people. You're going to learn the character of God. The thing is, when you, when you become so sure of the character of God, it becomes a whole lot easier to discern the voice of God because God is never going to contradict himself. And so the more familiar you become with Scripture, the more that you're going to be able to say, mm, I don't, I don't, I hear why you said what you said. I hear how you landed there. I'm not totally sure that's what God is doing in this moment. I want to discern further. And it's okay to say that. You might land at the same conclusion as what your friend said. Or you might land at something that looks a little more like what happens next. So let's go into... Um, Let's go back to verse 7 and read what happens in the rest of this passage. It says, So after David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul, 
After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him. He shouted after Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. What humility. And then he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? Why do you listen to those people? This very day, you can see with your own eyes that it isn't true. So what Saul did is exactly what we just talked about. We don't want to do. Listen to God more than people. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spare you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. What's, what he means by that is earlier, earlier in the Bible, uh, Saul was in fact anointed, but then the power got to his head. He stepped out of the will of God, which got us in this situation. Let's keep going. He said, look, my father. We'll explain that in a second. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds, so you can be sure that I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyways? Should he spend his time chasing one who is as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate, and he will rescue me from your power. When David had finished speaking, Saul called back, Is that really you, my son David? And then he began to cry. And he said to David, You are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. And so David promised this to Saul with an oath. Then Saul went home and David and his men went back to their stronghold. What a wild situation. So that would have played out so differently, so differently if David had listened to the counsel of his friends in that cave, right? All right, so let's explain a few things that we see in there. Um, David refers to Saul as my father. And then, David, or, and then uh, Saul refers to David as my son. This was not just like a cultural commonality at that time. Saul was actually David's father-in-law. You see what happened? This hatred of David began right after he slayed Goliath. Right after it happened, 
Um, David, David was present there. Saul didn't go out to fight Goliath. Goliath was coming out saying super out-of-pocket things to the entire Israelite army. So eventually David comes out. David kills Goliath, beheads him. It's a whole thing. And from that moment on, Saul hated him. But he kept him close. And Saul plotted a few different times to actually try and kill David. But what kept happening was David's heart was so bent towards God that he was successful in everything he did. Scripture actually says that the Lord went with David and everything he did was successful. And so Saul tries to to create this plot to kill David where he's going to arrange one of his daughters to marry David. What happened was Saul's daughter, Michal, was actually like in love with David, is what scripture tells us. And so Saul arranged for his daughter to marry David. But what he did as part of the marriage price, David responds and he's like, who am I to be son-in-law to the king? That's what he says back to Saul when he gets this word. And, um, and, David, or, and Saul says to David, hey, you know what? I actually don't want anything from you. I know that you could never pay the bride price because that's how things worked then. And so he tells him, I need you to believe me that I'm not making this up. He tells David, the price to marry my daughter is is 100 Philistine foreskins. Listen, I didn't make that up. Why would I make that up? It's in the Bible. And (laughs) I read that and I was like, well, that's a weird ask. Um, But what that meant is that David had to go slay all these people. He had to go kill them all. And get him. And David, for some reason, this was the moment that David was like, I'm going to ante up, and he delivered double. I don't know, like, what in his heart felt like this is the thing I'm going to ante up on, but he delivered a hundred more than what Saul even asked for. That's wild. That's that's wild on a lot of levels that we're not going to get into this morning. But, But that's what happened. So, so Saul actually thought that by asking David as that for the bride price, that surely he would die in the process of it. But he didn't. And so, so he marries Saul's daughter, and from that moment on, there is hostility in the household because Saul hates David. But even going one step further than this hostility between David and his father-in-law, Saul had a son named Jonathan who had become David's best friend. And I'm not just talking best friend like like they would hang out. Best friend like Jonathan had pledged allegiance to David. So his allegiance was not even to his father as the king of Israel. His son had recognized the anointing on David. And so now Saul's son and Saul's daughter have pledged allegiance to another king. So Saul really hates David. Yeah. So as, so as we're reading Psalm 57, and we see what David is saying about my enemies are after me, that they've set traps for me, right? Those Philistines. 
They've set traps for me. They're coming after me on all fronts. But God is faithful, and it is God's faithfulness that I will boast in. Oh, my gosh, that phrase means so much more when you know that that's what's happening when David says that. And so when David talks about forgiveness, wow, he forgave this man. Listen, the second big thing that we're going to take away today is to offer forgiveness even when it's undeserved. Because my goodness, did Saul not deserve to be forgiven. He had done nothing but set traps for this man. Nothing but set traps. And time after time after time, David offers forgiveness. David cut off the end of his robe and felt bad. I would not have felt bad for that. David is a better person than I am, and I am comfortable to say that. David offered forgiveness when not a single person in the world would have blamed him for killing Saul. They actually told him to do it. They actually, they actually invoked God's name and said, Surely the Lord has delivered your enemy to you. Surely today is the day that you can get the vengeance that you should be given. His friends are looking at him and saying, He deserves it. And actually God ordained this moment. Take him out. And David offered forgiveness. Where in your life and to who in your life do you need to offer undeserved forgiveness? What is the thing that you are holding on to? Because in all honesty, you have the right to be angry. What's the thing that you're holding on to? What grudge or what record of wrongs are you keeping that you need to let go of? And let's, let's flip that. What have you done that you need to forgive yourself for? What are you keeping yourself on the hook for that God has forgiven you for, but you need to forgive yourself for? What record of wrongs are you keeping against yourself that God is telling you to let go of. Scripture tells us that love keeps no record of wrongdoing. You can forgive yourself. And again, I want you to don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is to enter back into relationship with people who have abused you. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm also not telling you to stay in a relationship, whether friendship or otherwise, where you are regularly being hurt and abused. That is not what I'm saying. (laughs) Right. You know what, Sly? I wholeheartedly believe that that is biblical. Because it's a little bit of foolishness to stay in those spaces where you are continuously being hurt, and abuse. Sometimes forgiveness doesn't come because you get to sit in front of somebody and tell them that you have forgiven them. Sometimes that's not the way that it looks. And honestly, I think that's one of the hardest types of forgiveness is when you have to forgive someone from a distance and not talk to them about it. That's something that happens sometimes. 
but you do still have to forgive. You have to forgive yourself, and you have to forgive them. And look what happened with David in that situation. David offered forgiveness, and Saul was so convicted. It says that he cried, and then he retreated all his troops. Because our confidence is in God's faithfulness. It's not in the things that we can do. It's not in our education. It's not in our training. It's not in our accolades. It's not in the letters that we get after our name. It's not in our experiences. It's not in how fit we are. It's not in any of that stuff. All those things are great. If you got those, good, good for you. I'm so proud of you for the way that you have worked so hard in your life. And I genuinely mean that. I'm proud of you for showing up, for working hard, for persevering. Good for you. I'm so proud of you for that. But your confidence is in God's faithfulness. It's not in those things. And so, friends, we need to offer forgiveness even when it is undeserved. And the last thing that we need to take away from this story about David and the life of David and from Psalm 57 is to pause to give God praise. Pause to give God praise. Because the whole reason that we have Psalm 57 to read is because David paused. Yeah. It's be- yeah, Yes, Selah, exactly. It's because David paused. Pause to give God praise. Let me let you in on something. David was the anointed king of Israel. David was leading troops of thousands. David was going all over the countryside. When David stepped into kingship, his life was really busy. He had a lot of things going on. I can promise you that not a single one of us in here is too busy to pause to give God praise. You know how I know? Because David wrote the majority of Psalms. The whole reason that we have Psalm 57 is because this anointed king of Israel, who, by the way, was fighting for his life, paused. Who do I think that I am that I think my life is too busy to pause? Who do I think that I am, that I think I have too much going on and I'm too busy and my schedule is too packed that the rhythm that God created in Genesis chapter 1, which was set to pause, to have Sabbath, to rest on the seventh day, am I busier than God? Am I busier than the king of Israel? No. I have four kids. Yeah, they keep me busy. But you know what? I watched that whole Ed Sheeran docuseries. I clearly have time to pause. Right. What are you doing with your pause? Are you binging Netflix? Are you binging Ted Lasso? I know some of you are because you texted Corey about it. What are you doing with your pause? I'm not telling you not to enjoy things that make you laugh. I'm not telling you to neglect your kids and the promise you made to them to go do X, Y, or Z. I'm not telling you to ghost your friends and not show up for plans because you were told to pause during the sermon on Sunday. What I am telling you is to live in healthy rhythms. Live in rhythms of rest. We were literally created to do it. Prior to the fall, Scripture says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
We were created, every single one of us, in the image of God and God rested. And so you shouldn't feel bad for hitting pause. Stop and reflect on what God is doing in your life. Because thankfully David did, and that, and thousands of years later, we're reading his psalm. We're learning about his life. And from him, we are learning to pause and to reflect. And we're given permission to do so by scripture and by the life of the, of the king of Israel. The king who was known, by the way, as a man after God's own heart. And that is so evident by the way that David led. Did he screw up? Sure did. But listen, if you are at a point in your life, if you are at a season where you are starting fresh, if you're in a season of new beginnings, if you're in a season of screw-ups, David felt that too. And what I want you to learn from David is his perseverance. David didn't quit. David didn't screw up and then stop being king and forsake his whole calling. David screwed up, and then he put on grieving clothes, and he wept to God and begged for his forgiveness. We have those psalms too. So if you're in that season of new beginnings, I want you to learn from David's perseverance. If you're in a season of waiting, remember what I told you in the start of this. David was the anointed king of Israel, but he wasn't king yet. Saul was still king. So David knew the calling that was on his life. He knew what he was supposed to do. He very clearly had an idea of what God wanted for him. And you know what he did? Waited for a long time before he took the throne. He was hunted. He was hunted and he waited. He could have, he could have killed Saul and taken the throne right in that moment. But there's a whole lot of chapters in the Bible before he does. And so if you're in this season of waiting, I want you to learn from David's praise. Because what do we see in the end of that psalm? We see him say, I am going to wake the dawn with my worship. He says, I am going to wake the dawn with my praise. He calls the instruments up to start playing. And he says, I am going to praise you before the nations. And he's sitting and waiting. He hasn't even gotten to step into the calling on his life that he knows that he has because he was anointed by Samuel. This book that's called 1 Samuel, Samuel was one of, the last, uh, one of the last people before the whole kingship started. He's the one who anointed Saul, and then he's the one that anoints David. And David had already been anointed at this point. And he says, I'm going to praise God at dawn. I'm going to wake up everybody and praise him before the nations while he was sitting in a season of waiting. And so if you are in a season of waiting, I want you to learn from David's praise. And if you are in a season of busyness, if you are in a season of busyness, I want you to learn from David's pause. Because I don't know, I, I mean, I'm 36, and what I've learned at this point in my life is that the busyness never goes away, it just looks different. And so we better build good habits now. The busyness never changes. My parents are chuckling over here because between the two of this whole front row over here, they have 21 grandkids, and they know that busyness just looks different <laughs> when you get older. It doesn't go away. It just looks different. And so learn from his pause. Learn from the way that he rests. Learn from the way that he stops to give thanks to God.
And so, what we're going to do now is we're going to read Psalm 57 again. We're going to take everything that we just learned about David's life. We're going to take everything that we just learned about the context. Because listen, all I did today was tell you about the context of this passage. That's it. So we're going to dive back in. We're going to read Psalm 57 again. And now we're going to read it with all of that in mind. And what I want you to do is think about the impact of the words that he is saying. All right. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy. I look to you for protection. It hits different after talking about that. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows and whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. We know the trap now. I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart, wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you don't just give us words from years ago, but Lord, you give us the means to discover everything that they mean. Lord, I thank you that your plan is good. I thank you that your character is good and it's steady and we can trust you. When we feel surrounded by traps, Lord, we know that we can trust your faithfulness more than anything else. Lord, I thank you that we don't need to defend ourselves in the way that the world does. I thank you that you are a God who cares deeply and your faithfulness acts on our behalf. Lord, I pray now that all of us here would have a deeper understanding of who you are, that, we, that when we wake up tomorrow morning, Lord, I pray that the things that you want us to remember, the things that you want to stick would be the things that are still in our minds and in our hearts. Lord, I thank you for who you are. And it's in the precious name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.